Thank you for listening to the Pursuit Friends Church podcast. My name is Brian Donahue. I'm the planter and lead pastor at Pursuit Friends Church. And we are really excited to share with the world what God is doing at Pursuit Friends Church as we launch into a network of house churches. We believe that church planning is the most powerful and effective way to spread the gospel in any given area on the earth today. And we believe that God has called us to launch this network of house churches to do our best to get into every nook and cranny of society. God has called us to live on mission everywhere we go, and it starts in our neighborhoods. And so that's why we're excited. Have I used the word excited enough yet? We're really excited to talk about church planning and about what God is doing here at Pursuit Friends Church. So grab a cup of coffee, grab your favorite soda, bottle of water, whatever you like, sit back, relax. We're going to have a good time talking about Pursuit Friends Church and what God is doing in Northeast Ohio this very minute. You're not going to want to miss it. Stay tuned. Well, welcome to episode three of the Pursuit Friends Church podcast. I am so excited that you're listening to this, whether you're a part of our church family or out of state or you just enjoy listening to what's happening at Pursuit Friends Church. Maybe you're one of our prayer partners um, and you're associated with us that way, or maybe you just happen to catch this podcast as you're scrolling through the thousands upon thousands of podcasts available out there today. I just want to welcome you and say thank you for stopping by. Uh, This is a special edition podcast because I'm actually going to present um, a message that I gave to our church this past Sunday on August 22nd. And I'm really excited about it because we've actually changed our model and our format for doing church um, instead of just gathering and worshiping and then having me or someone else preach every week, we have been gathering, worshiping together, adults and children and teenagers, and then we do about a 10-minute, 15-minute thing where myself or one of our other leaders gets up and does an introduction, welcome, announcements, all those things. And then we take about five minutes to transition. The kids, the teachers, the assistants go down to my basement, and they do what we call kids' discipleship, what you might call Sunday school. And uh, then the adults, we kind of circle the chairs up, and we have actually been doing more of a Bible study discussion format for our message part of our services. And we love that uh, because it really gives greater opportunity for us to interact with each other. So we're creating greater fellowship and learning about each other and relationship building. But we're also really interacting with God's word in a much more intimate and personal way. And we're interacting with each other as we do that. We're asking questions and we're talking about it and we're going deeper. And it has been incredibly rich for us. We just got through the book of Ruth, which was amazing, by the way. I highly encourage you, if you haven't read through the book of Ruth in a while, now is the time. If you're looking for something new to read in God, God's Word or to be refreshed in that maybe you haven't read in a while, I would encourage you to read through the book of Ruth so much there, and we got a lot out of that. Well, what we've decided, because we do this Bible study discussion format, and uh, we really just believe in that and want to see that happen in our house churches, um, 
Every now and then, though, uh, we are going to have a Sunday where we preach, and that is what happened this past Sunday. And it seemed fitting to preach and to have our time be together this way because we had finished up Ruth just the week before, and uh, just just God laid this word on my heart. Uh, and this is from Acts 2, and we're going to focus mostly on Acts 2, 37 through 47. But I would encourage you to go start at the beginning of Acts, actually, Acts 1, and read and catch up after you listen to this. Or maybe pause this right now and read through Acts 1 and the first part of Acts 2 uh, so that you can jump in with us because uh, it's all important backstory uh, that I may not cover here as I share this message. But I I've titled this actually uh, A Sound That Pours Out Into the Streets. As Christians, we need to live lives that make a noise, that people can see, that they can see the joy and the love and the gladness, the goodness of God. They need to see us living in such a way that they are drawn to it like we're about to see happens here. And in Acts 2, as I guess I am going to recap it here, we see that uh, the disciples uh, and the early believers are gathered in this house, and we see that they are waiting upon the Lord. Jesus is resurrected. He's ascended into heaven. He's promised that the Holy Spirit is coming. They're all gathered together. They know the Spirit is coming, and so they're gathering together to wait. Waiting upon the Lord is something we can do way more of in the body of Christ. I really believe this with all of my heart. There is more that we can do to learn how to wait on the Lord. And we need to recognize that waiting upon the Lord is not biding our time or doing nothing. It's not twiddling our thumbs. It's not hoping that something miraculous will happen just out of the blue. Uh, It's not hoping that God does something without us doing anything, any of the work ourselves. Waiting on the Lord is, is very simply put, it's this. It's seeking the Lord in prayer, worship, and with an attitude or a position of surrender. Whenever there's a decision to be made in our lives, wait upon the Lord. When, when something hard is happening in your life, wait upon the Lord. When you've got a big, huge decision for your family or with your job or with school or, or, or church or anything that's just very difficult, maybe there's great health concern that you're about to face and there's this crisis, whatever. maybe there's a relationship broken, wait upon the Lord, pursue God and seek his face and worship him and pray and read his word and and approach it from a position of surrender. This past year with the pandemic, we as a church and as really every church in the world probably has done and many countless families have done, we've we've kind of been forced to wait. We've we've had to put on the brakes so to speak and uh We've just been forced to wait upon the Lord. And as we came through the pandemic and were waiting upon the Lord and our leadership discussed and prayed and worshiped together, um, but we began to discuss out of that season 
a shift that we've made as a church into this house church network. And had we not waited upon the Lord, had we not been forced to kind of have this time to work things out in our hearts and our minds and pray and worship and seek God's face, who knows where we would have ended up. I believe God is good and hopefully we would have ended up where we are today. But waiting upon the Lord is so important. We don't do that nearly enough, especially in America where we're just so busy. We associate importance with busyness. And man, waiting upon the Lord, just taking time to stop, slow down, take a breath, to listen for God's still small voice can be life-changing. It can be life-giving. It can be life-altering. And so we see in the early church as they are waiting upon the move of God, they're praying, they're gathering, they're worshiping. As the Holy Spirit falls them, we see this amazing thing happen, right? The, the Bible says that the, that, that the Spirit of God came in like the sound of rushing wind, which was, had to just be incredible, and that flames of fire fell upon their heads, and they began to speak in these other tongues, other languages. But a sound arises from their mouths, and the Bible says it, it pours out into the streets, And a large crowd begins to gather around this house. And as the believers who are now filled with the Spirit are speaking in literal other language, they weren't just talking gibberish. They were actually speaking in other foreign languages, and they were talking about Jesus. This is amazing. Oh, what it would have been like to have been in the room or to have been outside that house and to hear and see this event. These men who were gathered from all over the world, these Jewish men that were gathering in Jerusalem, they were amazed, the Bible says, they heard about the wonderful works of God in their own language. And in verse 12, we hear them say that they were amazed and confused. They say, what can this mean? They ask a very important question. What can this mean? I wonder how often in our own lives people are so amazed by what they see of and about God that they're amazed enough to stop and listen and say, what is this about? Right? As we live our everyday lives, is there anyone in your life right now that as you live for Jesus Christ, as you live in the light and love and knowledge of who he is, and as you're proclaiming the gospel by how you live, by what you say, by what your attitude is, your heart is, all those things, is there anyone recognizing that and saying, what is this about? And so their sound poured out into the street. What God was doing, just it could not be contained by that household. And it poured out into the streets. We need to live lives that pour out into the streets around us. Amen? And Peter responds, of course, and gives testimony concerning Jesus. And he uses Old Testament passages, which is brilliant. We see Paul do that often in the epistles as he is describing who Jesus is. And this is just a wonderful way to link these Jewish men to their beliefs with the risen Jesus. He connects the dots for them. And his words are so powerful and convincing that they change their question from what can this mean to what can we do? What they were witnessing was so powerful that it warranted a response. 
This is incredible. Do the way does the way we live as believers warrant a response from those around us? The world needs to not only see the love of Jesus or an opportunity to avoid eternity in hell, they need to see the power and the might of God to change their lives and change the world around us. That is when people say, what can I do to receive Jesus? And it says in verse 37 that they were pierced or cut to the heart when they heard these things, even though they were deeply convicted, their sin was great, their cry seems to still be filled with hope because surely there was something they could do. This is interesting to me. As I read through this this past couple weeks, like, like it really, I don't know if it dawned on me or just, it was just a good reminder that as Peter shares the gospel, he is truthful, there is obvious power and authority there, but also, also, there is grace and compassion. And these men, the Bible says in verse 37 of Acts 2, that they were pierced or cut to the heart when they heard these things. But they surely believed there was something they could do. There was surely something they could do as they cried out, what can we do? Peter effectively described who God is, who Jesus is. He connected the dots. But these men, and probably a lot of women too, believed as Peter spoke that there was a way. And Peter points them towards repentance and baptism. We see a response from this crowd that should pierce us to the heart, right? Because there was really power being displayed and an even more powerful testimony being declared. The disciples and these early believers lived in the light and experience of a Christ that could touch and smell and eat with them and laugh with them. They actually saw the resurrected Jesus, and they saw him ascend, and they were given a mission. Just like we are given a mission. That same mission that Jesus handed to the disciples and the early believers there as he ascended into heaven is the same mission we live with and are tasked with today. Peter implores them in verse 40 to be saved from a perverse generation. We have to recognize as Christians today that we live in a perverse generation. If we have this naive impression of the world around us as if everybody is basically good and everything is just wonderful, (laughs) like one of the most annoying songs ever created from the original Lego movie, Everything is wonderful. However that goes, I can't even, my kids and my wife love it. I hate it. Um, (laughs) That's just personal preference. Nothing against the Lego movie. Just not one of my favorites, okay? But everything is not just wonderful all around the world. There's a lot of good stuff, of course. God's creation is wonderful. His, His perfect creation, his most intricate creation in the human being is incredible it's an incredible feat of creation 
and there are a lot of good people out there, but the world by and by is corrupt. It is perverse. We're living in a perverse generation. And so there has to be a recognition of that. There ha- we have to be saved from something. And we're saved from our sin. The full gospel message includes the need for recognition of sin. You can't just tell somebody that, that wants Jesus in their life that they're basically a good person. We have to recognize that there is sin. And Peter does this. He implores them to be saved. And, the, and, and like I said, the full gospel message includes the need for recognition of sin, for repentance from that sin, a turning away from it, and making a public declaration of this through baptism, as well as a full surrendering of God to, of everything to God living a life dedicated to serving him as king. I recently watched a video that really impacted me. We're actually going to share this video in our house church here in the near future, and we're going to use it as the basis for our discussion that day. Because what this video is is a video of a pastor, a minister of the gospel, um, being interviewed, and he ministers in the Middle East. And, of course, it's undisclosed actual location. His face is um, distorted. His voice is distorted as he is being interviewed. And uh, he says that uh, they have switched everything around to how we normally preach the gospel And they haven't changed the truth of God's word in any way, shape, or form. Just their approach is different. And here's why. Because in America, oftentimes, for many pulpits and many evangelists, we teach Jesus as Savior. We present him as this great Savior, this all-loving, kind, wonderful, warm, fuzzy person and God that just wants to forgive us of our sins and doesn't want us to go to hell. So if we invite him into our heart which really you don't see the example, as far as I know, of anyone in Scripture inviting Jesus into their heart. Um, That's an odd concept for many Christians overseas, that there's this thing that you invite Jesus in. What we actually see is a surrendering of everything to get to Jesus because he is perceived and understood and related to, first and foremost, as king. And so what this gentleman who ministers in the Middle East does is he teaches Jesus as king because he can't save you unless he is king. Do you see what that's saying there? Do you see that approach there? It's not just Jesus, Savior, you know, thank you for dying for me. It's, It's Jesus is king of everything. And because he is king of everything, therefore, he has the power and ability to save me from my sins. And so because he is king, he is savior as well. And when you present Jesus as king, that means he is king, Lord of all, Lord of everything. And so therefore, there is a surrendering that needs to happen if you want Jesus to be a part of your life. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross daily. 
He told people, let the dead bury the dead. He said, leave your family, leave your mother, your father, your brother, your sister. Come with me right now if you really want me. He told the rich young ruler, who I like to say was actually the poor young slave, that if you want to follow me, you've obeyed all of the law, that's fantastic. But if you really want to follow me, sell all your possessions and come follow me. Because Jesus recognized that he would never be king of that young man's life as long as his possessions and his wealth was the actual king in his life. And so people need to see us today in America or wherever you're listening to this from as king of our lives. And of course, all of this is accomplished with the help and the power of the Holy Spirit. In the people's response in verse 41 it says that those that received it were gladly baptized. And I want you to underline, if you've got your Bible with you or you're listening to this or it's in, you've got a Bible app on your phone, however you're, however you're reading this, I, I want you in verse 41, underline or highlight, circle, draw a box around, do something, asterisk the word gladly. We're going to come back to that again in just a minute. But they gladly as they those that gladly received it were baptized and it says that that day about 3000 people were added to the believers so there's this explosion of believers right here in the city around this house around this household where people where a smaller group of people were gathered the sound of what god was doing poured out into the streets in that very day 3 thousand people were baptized and were added to the believers. But here's the key. Here's what we need to hold on to. Okay, because this is a miraculous this is a miraculous thing to have. This is amazing. Imagine how excited they were as this was happening. I mean they had to be high fiving, fist bumping, you know, jumping. I mean I mean it just this just had to be an incredible experience here for the believers. But I want us to understand that, that signs and wonders are wonderful and, and often, excuse me, very helpful in convincing people that Jesus is who he says he, says he is. And I believe in America we need more signs and wonders. I want, I want to make sure that, that I don't just, I, I don't want to just say, hey, don't, don't, signs and wonders don't have a place anymore because I don't believe that at all. I've seen signs and wonders in my own life. God has used me to lay my hands on others to see them healed. I've seen others do it. I've seen signs and wonders. I believe God still works with signs and wonders today. But there's a biblical pattern that we need to make sure we're holding fast to. Because in verse 42, here, here's, here's what they focused on. They weren't focused or living for signs and wonders. Here's what it says in verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread. And don't miss this, guys, in prayer. So the signs and, wonderings were, signs and wonders were happening all around them. But what they really clung to and focused on was being steadfast in learning about God and fellowship with, fellowshipping with each other and living life daily with each other by the breaking of bread, having meals together, and in prayer. They did these things as they pursued God every day. Do we live lifestyles of pursuing God every day? Sometimes I wonder. 
It says in verse 43 that if great fear or reverence came upon them, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles, I wonder if one of the reasons why overseas they're seeing miraculous signs and wonders almost daily in the Middle East, it's incredible what's happening as Jesus is revealing himself to people every day, particularly Muslims. There's this one story I just heard recently about God moving in the hearts of Muslim people in the Middle East. And I'll see if I can hold it together as I share this story. But this one gentleman came up to this man who was ministering there and said every day, um, or he said, I begin to ask God to reveal himself to me. He just gave his heart to God or whatever, or was seeking or whatever. And uh, every day this figure in white appears to me in my little hut. He's got a mud hut with thatch roof, you know, just dirt floor, you know. Um, and uh, every night this person in bright white clothing appears to me and speaks to me. And I started writing, and I have a journal, and I started writing down every word that he was saying to me because it was so good. And the minister said, can I see this journal? I want to see what God is showing you. And he opened the journal up, and the very first line of the journal said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was made flesh. The Word was God. Is The beginning of John, of the book of John. And he continued reading, And what had happened was that Jesus was appearing to this person and every day giving them more of the whole book of John in their own language. And this minister, this pastor, this leader was just amazed as God was showing this man who he was in this very miraculous, wonderful way. And the man who didn't own a Bible, never saw a Bible, never heard a word from the Bible, was able to accurately have the whole book of John in his home because Jesus was revealing himself to him and saving his life. And I wonder if part of our problem in the United States is that we do not continue steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and in fellowship and in breaking bread. We're just so busy. We certainly, really, we, we, we talk about prayer all the time. And hopefully we pray, you know, and I know there are believers there that are praying without ceasing truly. They invite God into every situation. Every opportunity they have, they're talking to the Lord. And there are parts of the body of Christ I know that that do live this out, that are walking in this. And I'm just gripped, though, when I talk about this in a general sense, that I I wonder if we would see more signs and wonders if we were just simply more faithful to God by steadfastly every day living according to his word and living in fellowship with each other and in greater prayer. God was not just showing up and people weren't just getting saved because of the things they talked about here in Acts 2. People were giving their whole lives to Christ because they saw the power of God. When they heard the gospel in their own native language, it even says earlier in the chapter, it says, are these not all Galileans? There's no way they should know our languages. 
This is a miraculous thing. They were cut, they were pierced to the heart because not just because of the words they were hearing, but because of the power of God falling over them in a very tangible, recognizable way where it demanded a response, even if they rejected, because it says earlier on in verse 41, those that received it, that gladly received it, were baptized. So there were people there apparently that rejected it, that walked away and said, I don't know about this. But they gladly received it. They felt the power of God. The Bible says that the harvest is ripe, just the workers are few. And I wonder if we really believe that today, that there's actually a harvest and that we're actually called to be the workers, every single one of us. These apostles and the early believers here in Acts 2 were sharing with everyone who would listen that God wants to impact our lives every single day that he wants to have a relationship with us and that he can move and speak and work in us and through us. We don't need a mountaintop burning bush experience like Moses or to be an anointed prophet or priest to hear from God. Jesus made it possible for us to talk to God on our own. This would have been an incredibly powerful message to those who were ready to receive this good news and also incredibly heretical to those who rejected Christ. There there were some Jews there potentially that day that just said that's just too that's just too crazy. We've always done the priest thing. We've always done the sacrifice. This is how God has moved, right? The burning cloud or the burning pillar of fire, the cloud, you know, like uh, you know, it's just how it is. It was hard for them to believe that God would actually make this personal one-on-one. But their response was very quick. It says they gladly received this information in this revelation of the risen Christ. This is the true power of the gospel. People will either say, wow, I got to have some of that, or they might have some questions, they might have some hesitation, but some people will react adversely to it. Some people will become angered. But man, the harvest is ripe. We see a joyful response and an eagerness to learn and grow from these 3,000. True discipleship includes an eager desire to learn more about Jesus. A major part of being a disciple involves being a student and learning and growing in your knowledge of Christ. You cannot be a disciple if you do not read the Word of God. You cannot be a disciple. You are not a disciple if you never spend hardly any time at all in prayer or worship to God, whatever worship looks like to you. And we need to be real careful even with that. I'm a worship leader, so I'm going to hang out here for a minute. I know that not everybody worships God with music, that that not everybody is drawn to music or musical in their attitude and their way of life. We always have music playing here at the Donahue House, and I'm a musician, a worship leader. We need to be real careful and honest with ourselves when we say, though, that I, you know, I don't need to do that because I worship God with my whole life. And I would just challenge you today and say, in the American church, and say, is that really true? Do you really give your time and your attitude, your effort all to the Lord? 
because I know there are people authentically walking in this that say that, but I also know there are people that say that. They don't read God's word. They don't. They pray at their mealtime and when they need something. But they don't really have a relationship with God. Nobody around them really knows that they're a Christian. There might be people around them that knows what church they attend. But their sound is not pouring out into the streets. I don't know about you guys, but I want my sound to resonate in the streets. I want everybody around me to know, not that I'm a pastor, not that... I mean, I want people to know that. I want people to know, of course, that we've got this network of house churches that we're building. And, you know, I want people to hear Pursuit Friends Church and say, ah, oh, that's an amazing church. They're, they're, they're really about the gospel. They're really about mission. They're really about fellowship and community and, and impacting the world around them. I, I want those things. But what I really want people to see first and foremost is that I'm a child of God, a Christ follower. I want the sound of my life and the sound of my family's life to pour out into the streets. And I want that to be so powerful that people respond to the gospel. I want to be a worker. I want to go into the harvest field. To be a disciple, you have to be a student. And you have to learn, you have to grow in your knowledge of Christ. And the best way to do that is by reading the Bible. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on. Here's where I've been so encouraged this week, is I've examined this passage again and thought about it, how it has so greatly influenced our transition into this house church network. Verse 42, listen to this. This is fabulous. They broke bread together regularly. They had this kind of table fellowship that impacted their relationships. Many of these new converts could not partake of the Lord's Supper in the temple. They were foreigners. Uh, Maybe they couldn't get to Jerusalem on a regular basis or even to their own temple in their own city, whatever that looked like. And so the importance of being able to do this in their homes with each other would have been refreshingly indescribable to them. They worshiped, fellowshiped, and prayed in their homes together. And the gospel spread household to household. We're really excited as we gather every Sunday. I shared with our church this past Sunday, I think it was actually, that, that I, I have been sh- a lot, as, as we've shifted our model and our attention onto smaller gatherings and seeing God do a work and raising up leaders and multiplying disciples and then multiplying leaders into house churches and going all over Northeast Ohio and even the world ultimately is our goal. But that I have made a shift because it used to be when it came to church that my favorite thing was worship. I just look forward. That's what I dwelt on. That's what I loved. That's what I was passionate about. The time of worship where we sang songs together corporately with God, I just always look forward to that. And oftentimes that would translate into also the preaching, right? People look forward to those things. Um, But now for us as a church, since we are partaking in this table fellowship every single Sunday that we gather, and having this amazing lunch together and hanging out in my backyard and in my living room and kitchen and dining room, we are seeing incredible fellowship and relationship building and growth as we're sharing our lives together. That's what it is, not just about eating good food. And by the way, at Pursuit Friends Church, we eat really good, phenomenal food. 
Um, you should come to our church just because of the food, actually. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course, but you will not be disappointed by the lunch afterwards. But I shared with my church that now what I actually look forward to besides above and, or above and beyond the worship portion of our time together and even the Bible study is the fellowship because that's when we're really being the body of Christ. That's when we're growing together, encouraging each other, sharpening each other. It's been so good, and it's shown us a picture of the early church, how God really meant it to be the gospel spread household to household. Incredible. Verse 44, they were together in life and had all things in common. They sold possessions as needed to care for each other. So it wasn't like someone got saved and, bam, they said, I've got this field or this house or this business that I can sell and just spread the money out amongst the believers. It was as needed. If something came up in their midst, they cared for each other. We've seen, we've done that here at Pursuit Friends Church where other people in our body have a very important need in their lives and we do our best to try to meet those needs. It's not just about giving to other organizations, which we do, and we partner with several different local organizations and missions things across overseas. But we also need to make sure as believers that we're taking care of each other. This was part of the power of their testimony in the early church, that they cared for each other and those around them. And I love verse 46 here because it reinforces that word I originally asked you to highlight, that word gladly. It says, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. They praised God. Worship was a regular part of their day and their lives, and they had favor with the people. What if we lived our lives in the sense of just worship, true worship all the time, this gladness and simplicity of heart? Imagine the power and the impact that would have on people around us. As we do that in our own families, as individuals, as we go to work with this gladness and simplicity of heart, as we go to school with the same attitude, and as we do that together in our house churches as as small churches, and we do that and our neighbors see this and hear this, is the sound pouring out into the streets, this gladness and simplicity of heart. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. What if we lived in this way, guys? That God would add to those being saved daily because of how our families are living. What a wondrous thing to think about. What a great thing to dream about and grow towards. What if we woke up every morning and truly believe that the harvest is ripe, that, that God has called us, that God has called you and me to be workers? What if we went to our jobs and believed in the power and grace and love of God so much that we expect to have at least one opportunity to show it to someone? If only we would open our eyes and our hearts and make space for this in our lives. The joy these early churches had was so exciting and so real that it was easy to sell their possessions and their property in order to help each other when needed. It was not a burden. It was a joy because God was moving and God was blessing. What we see is a picture of the gladness and simplicity within the early church And really, we want to get back to this as pursuit friends. 
We want to see real fellowship that is joyful and life-giving, real worship that is authentic and powerful, real testimonies that cannot be ignored or dismissed. We want to see the power of God manifested in our lives. It says that they were of one accord, this early church, uh, one purpose to make disciples. Each of these early houses became the center for Christian fellowship and worship, for the raising up of disciples. I read that in a commentary this week, and that just really struck me. These, the, the houses became the center for Christian fellowship and worship. They weren't applying great pressure to the people around them to receive Christ. They were just living like Christ. And the people around them saw the joy and the power, and they responded to Jesus. Let our lives be like that sound that poured out into the streets. Let's be the real body of Christ, and let's go after the world with the same reckless love that Jesus pursued us with. Thank you for listening to this special edition episode of the Pursuit Friends Church Podcast. I hope you've been blessed. I hope you've been challenged, encouraged to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus everywhere you go. That's your sound, the sound of God's love and grace and power over your life would pour out into the streets. If you'd like to be a part of Pursuit Friends Church or learn more about what God is doing here in Northeast Ohio, Visit us at PursuitFriends.org or you can find us on Facebook by typing in Pursuit Friends Church. If you'd like to give to Pursuit Friends in what God is doing in the launching of house churches and the sending of missionaries all over Northeast Ohio, go to PursuitFriendsChurch.org give and you can be a part financially of what God is doing here at Pursuit Friends Church. We'd love to invite you to be a part of our prayer partners to cover us in prayer every week, every day. Because we have a big dream of seeing house churches launched all over this area and even the world. Would you pray for us? If you'd like to join us, we meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. If you're in the area or visiting, uh, we'd love to have you come and be a part of our fellowship and just experience what God is doing in this house church network, in this movement. Until next time, I'm Brian Donahue, planner and lead pastor of Pursuit Friends Church Network of House Churches. Be blessed.